Hi, this is Ann Robertson, the pastor of the United Methodist Church of Westford in Westford, Massachusetts. This is the sermon from this morning, August 6th, at our service. It was a communion service today, and you hear reference to that in the sermon. The sermon is titled Stumbling Blocks, and it's based on the 14th chapter of Romans. Please remain standing for the reading of the gospel, which comes from the gospel of Matthew, but I've changed the passage from what's in your bulletin to Matthew 15, verses 10 through 20. Then Jesus called the crowd to him and said to them, Listen and understand. It's not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but it's what comes out of the mouth that defiles. Then the disciples approached and said to him, Do you know that the Pharisees took offense when they heard what you said? He answered, Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be uprooted. Let them alone. They're blind guides of the blind. And if one blind person guides another, both will fall into a pit. But Peter said to him, Explain this parable to us. Then Jesus said, Are you also still without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth enters the stomach and goes out into the sewer? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this is what defiles. For out of the heart come evil intentions, murder, adultery, fornication, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Back in 1979, when I was in college, I spent a couple of weeks in Germany with a friend of mine who had some relatives there. And I will never forget that trip because it presented me with one of the most interesting moral challenges of my life to date. Since we were staying with my friend's relatives, we spent quite a bit of time going around to visit others of her relatives that she'd never met before. And one of those visits took us down to an elderly couple in Bavaria. And they ushered into their small dining room, and immediately they broke out the liquor. And I have no idea what it was, but the appearance of the bottle put me into a tailspin. Because those were back in my fundamentalist years. And I strongly believe that if I put any alcohol in my body, that that was just the most awful sin, and I couldn't do it. I'm not there anymore, but that's where I was. And so in my clumsy German, I was a German major, I tried to explain that I couldn't accept the drink and why. Well, if you've ever been to Bavaria, the German spoken in the Bavarian mountains is very, very different from the German that you learn in school. So between my clumsy German and their accent, it it wasn't working. And they continued to offer, and I continued to refuse, neither of us really understanding the other one. And on the drive back home to where we were staying, our host explained to me that I had deeply offended that couple. They interpreted my refusal as an affront to their hospitality, that what they had to offer wasn't good enough for me. And every time they had asked again and again, they were apparently bringing out the better stuff and the better stuff and the better stuff till they had the very best stuff they had in their house. And there's good old Anne saying, "Uh uh-uh, no, no, no. And them thinking that I was saying to them, even the best they had was not good enough for me. 
I was horrified that I had hurt them. Was I right or was I wrong to reject the drink? Romans 14 would seem to tell me both yes and no. On the one hand, Paul is right with the passage that I just read from Jesus in pointing out that it's not what goes into the body that's sinful. It's what comes out of the heart. As Paul says in verse 17 of Romans 14, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. So it seems on the one hand that I put a stumbling block in the way of that couple. I don't know if they had a religious affiliation, but after that visit they weren't about to adopt mine, I can tell you that. (laughs) I wasn't loving my neighbor, and I wasn't an effective witness for my faith either. And as I looked back, I felt that in not accepting their gift that I'd been wrong. But then there was verse 14. If anyone regards something as unclean, then for that person it is unclean. Huh. And worse, down in verse 23, but the man who has doubts is condemned if he eats because his eating is not from faith. And everything that does not come from faith is sin. Because I honestly believed that it was against the will of God to take even a sip from that cup, Paul also seemed to be saying to me that because I believed that, it would have been a sin for me to drink it. I was in a lose-lose situation in that house. There was no way from where I was at the time for me to have done the right thing. Not because of what they were offering, but because I came into their home bound by the law. That event and my struggles with it and thinking back over it was one of the first chinks in my fundamentalist armor that made me think, "Ah, there's something wrong with this overall picture if I can go in with all the best intentions and the will of God before me and have no right option to choose. And as I studied Romans 14, I could see the problem. If I'd come to them with a greater sense of God's freedom and grace, then I could have been in a win-win situation and not a lose-lose. If I wasn't so caught up in thinking that a particular kind of food or drink was sinful, then I could have accepted their gift and could have lived out verse 19, let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. I didn't have to drink it. I could have stuck my tongue in it, whatever. I could have just taken it and accepted it with grace. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food, as Paul says. Could have had my schnapps and drank it too. Romans 14, like most of the book of Romans, is a gateway to radical freedom in faith. The thing that distresses some people is Paul's approach seems to leave the categories of right and wrong in some very subjective hands. Do not allow what you consider good to be spoken of as evil. That's pretty subjective. But Paul isn't talking here in this chapter about the large moral failings forbidden in the Ten Commandments. He's got those other places. He's talking here about the failings of ritual purity 
and the seemingly endless list of do's and don'ts, shoulds and shouldn'ts that fill up the lives of most religious communities and cultures. How many of you grew up thinking you were going to hell if you didn't wear a hat to church, if you didn't confess your sins before communion, if you danced or played cards or drank? It's those kinds of things that Paul is talking about that end up being stumbling blocks to faith for people. In this chapter, Paul is talking about how we do harm to others by putting too much emphasis on behaviors that really don't matter. But the themes that are echoed here have been present throughout the book of Romans, whether he's talking about the big issues and the big sins or the little things that can be stumbling blocks. It's one corner of a much larger mural of grace. One of those larger themes that occurs twice in the chapter is don't judge others. For one thing, that's God's job and not ours. As Paul says in verse 4, Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To his own master he stands or falls. In other words, people report to God and not to you, so leave them alone. But the good news that really makes the book of Romans sing, I think, began in chapter 3 when Paul says, you know, it's not our good behavior that saves us, but our simple trust in God's love and faithfulness. That's really laid out in Romans 8, which begins with, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus and ends with that majestic language of God's love that will never fail us. That theme of God's love and forgiveness is right here in chapter 14 also. Right after saying to his own master a person stands or falls, Paul says, and he will stand because the Lord is able to make him stand. It's with that radical understanding of God's grace and love that will declare you righteous before God, even when you're clearly not, that Paul moves into the rest of chapter 14 and says, basically, don't worry. God's in charge. Don't get hung up on legalisms about how certain days should be celebrated or what to eat and drink and the like. If you're comfortable with it, give thanks to God for it and don't let others call it evil. If you think it's wrong, don't do it. It's the difference between the letter of the law and the spirit of the law that Paul's getting at in Romans 14. Don't get bogged down in a detailed list of do's and don'ts. Look instead at the effect that your behavior is having on your neighbor and whether your behavior is more likely to drive your neighbor away from your faith or draw your neighbor to your faith. If you're harming the faith of others, you're in the wrong, even if what you're doing is technically okay. It isn't about the law and who keeps it. It's about the neighbors and who loves them. It's about the heart's desire to do God's will and about the grace of God that picks us up instead of casting us down. And that larger theme goes for all of our sin, the big and the small. Paul is also saying that our decisions should be based on what we believe to be God's will. Back in verses 5 and 6, he says, One person considers one day more sacred than another, 
another person considers every day alike. Each one should be fully convinced in their own mind. If a person regards one day as special, so does the Lord. Whoever eats meat eats to the Lord and gives thanks to God. And whoever abstains does so to the Lord and gives thanks to God. It's about our intention and our heart and our willingness to thank God for who we are and what we have and the gifts that are before us. We're to approach even the smallest things in our lives with a sense of sacredness and make whatever decisions we make based upon what we believe to be God's will and righteousness for our lives. That might change. It certainly changed across my life. But the thing that's constant is the attitude of the heart that wants to do what God wants. Because back in 1979, I was so caught up in the law and fear of judgment, I couldn't accept the drink, even though it was offered with love and with thanksgiving. I believed it was wrong, and I was afraid of what might happen to me if I took it and sinned. Had I understood Romans 14, I would have realized that it wasn't about me. It was about that couple and about showing them the love and the grace of God. Whether I technically did the right or the wrong thing, in that case, I think, was immaterial. God would have either way seen a heart that wanted to bless that couple and would not have condemned me. And all of that is symbolized this morning on the altar. The sharing in the body of Christ is the reminder that God loves us, whether we get it right or whether we get it wrong. It's the reminder that if our hearts are seeking God, then God does not condemn us. Jesus hosts the meal, and there are no bouncers. We each answer to our own master. And when we come to the table, we will stand and not fall before our master, Jesus Christ, because the Lord is able to make us stand. Romans does have a very clear sense that we're sinful, on a very regular basis. But the book has changed so many hearts and lives over the years because it sings the good news that God's grace has left our sin in the dust. There is no more condemnation. The only one judging us is the one whose love we can't escape. Live intentionally. Love God. Love your neighbor as yourself. Legalism ended in death on a cross, and it was only love that rose from the grave on Easter morning. So come and share in the love of the Lord at the table. Amen. Thanks for subscribing to Spirit Walker Sermons. If you're ever in the area, stop in for worship at 9.30 a.m. on Sunday mornings at 10 Church Street in Westford, Massachusetts love to have you stop by my website at www.annrobertson.com where you can also subscribe to a weekly devotion which you can receive either as an email or a podcast. I'd love to hear from you via email at ann at Thanks again for subscribing and I hope your week is filled with God's blessings. Music